HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, I got my good buddy. I can't think of a, a more perfect person to have in the studio today on Independence Day Eve, or as I like to call it, God's birthday, uh, <laughs> than my buddy Dan Lau of The Shop Brooklyn. Now, The Shop started out in uh, Williamsburg on Metropolitan. Yep. And you guys are opening up a new one, uh, moving basically moving Shop over to... Uh, Right, right around the corner from here. In, we are in Bushwick. We are right on top of the Jefferson L stop at uh, two thirty four Star Street. We'll be opening up a, I think New York City's only, I think I'm safe to say, barbecue bar. I love that. What it, like I, I hear bar and barbecue, and I, I love both of those words. There's probably my two favorite words besides freedom and like guitar <laughs> solo. <laughs> Maybe motorcycle is thrown in there too, but uh, but explain to me what you mean by barbecue bar. Sure. Well, I think it's apropos to talk about today, um, one day before America's two hundred and thirty seventh, if, if my math is correct, birthday. So happy birthday, Marka! Happy birthday, Marka! Some people celebrated on the second when Congress met to declare and to vote that we were going to put out the declaration. They put it out on the fourth. I choose to believe that this whole week is like birthday week that's much more fun <laughs> it's totally birthday much week. <laughs> much more barbecue beer pizza burgers whiskey all that good stuff so barbecue bar is a, a way to concisely communicate what i believe that we are now which is a modern day version of in the deep south what they would have called juke joints mm-hmm uh, in more of the Texas area, they'd call them honky tonks or barbecue and beer joints in East Texas, uh, around like Taylor. A good example would be Taylor cafe, which is an iconic place, um, that's still open today. And these are the places where you, 
you had all these workers that would come from picking cotton or working on farms or building railroad tracks or whatever hard labor in the sun that they were doing in that entire uh, neck of the woods. And after work, they they were starving and they were thirsty. So, yeah, and this was all ethnicities, right? You had, I mean, it was a talk about melting pot. Like this was this was it, and this is kind of the history of of why I love this stuff so much that. You know, I, you know, I've talked about this before, but this is why I want uh, to create a place like this in the modern world uh, because I don't, I don't see them very often. So, so let's say it was, uh, you know, it was 80 years ago, um, more actually, late, late, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, through to, um, through up into probably the 50s. So you'd have this huge group of laborers leave work, backbreaking, hot sun, day like today. You just you're dying. You'd go into a barbecue bar or one of these kind of beer and barbecue joints, get a case of cold beer in the front, bottle of whiskey. You got me there. Yeah, sold. <laughs> Check next. <laughs> <laughs> so you grab that. Then you, you know you and your buddies and the guys you work with and all the people you work with would, would sit down and kind of get hydrated, so to speak. If you want to call it, <laughs> if you want to call that hydration, dry hydrated, which I do <laughs> clearly, and. Uh, and then they would start ordering up some barbecue and some food, and you'd get it right out there at the bar. Like it wasn't fancy, it wasn't uh, a market. Um, this was just this was about the most democratic of places, right? And we've talked about this before, where I think some of the neatest places you're seeing in America come about in the food and beverage world, and entertainment world for that matter, all kind of in one package. Are these places that are are recreating their version? of these old school things that are just basic American classics, right? So okay. where we're sitting today, pizza, hamburgers, barbecue, probably the best examples. I would add certain um, Mexican places in there because there's that's so much ingrained in, in most of the country as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my favorites would be, you know, it's barbecue, and then it's Mexican food, then it's burgers and pizza. Like those yeah. are my, for me, that's, that's classically American in a way for me. Sure, right. sure. I mean, barbecue, I mean, obviously, and beer and whiskey is that's clearly American. But I think our version of whether you call it Tex-Mex or whatever you want to say, there's, well, we're, we're we're both from the same part of the world, like right. You know, you're, the middle. Yeah, the middle. <laughs> we're from Middle Earth, right, <laughs> right, right. But but yeah, I mean, like growing up, like I, you know, in Oklahoma and Texas, like around the Red River and stuff, is like it was always Tex-Mex barbecue. Yep. Um, not the best pizza, yep. but damn, we ate a lot of it. Exactly. And, and yeah, I tell you, and a shitload of burgers. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, so y- these joints were, were you know, at the time, they, they were, they, I'm sure they were pretty rowdy, right? But, mm-hmm. but there's a good quote. Uh, there are two books that, that everybody out there should read that do a great job of explaining the history of, uh, of barbecue specifically. But it melds so well with American history, and it talks so much about the different types of people that settled the country and what they did and where they were and how that comes through today in our food and our drink and that's one and, and, and our music most specifically those three things our food our drink and our music and I think that you have to really understand where all these people came from why they were doing what they were doing when they were doing it what the environment was like then so that you can understand today what our iterations of those things are right so you had you had these joints that were relatively rowdy there's a good quote in um it's called barbecue crossroads by rob walsh um i read it on the plane back from austin a couple weeks ago i was down there meeting with a, a meat supplier my pit builder and some other 
some other uh, some other people down there. And and there's this classic quote from Wenzel, uh, I believe his last name is Mayor, is from Taylor Cafe, and he says, uh, "I wasn't scared of a couple uh, of a couple laborers with steak knives. I had just gotten back from World War II, where somebody was trying to kill me every hour, <laughs> every day for a year and a half. Yeah, right. So there was a rowdy element to it, but at the same time." These were take all commerce types of places, right? And 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 that place is still there today. You can go there today for lunch, get some barbecue, even though there's no AC in there, and it's like 120 in Taylor today. You don't need AC with barbecue. You, you do not. <laughs> you, you do if you want to eat a ton of it. That's but you can still you sit sweats. at that bar and have a conversation with Vensel. He might nod off a few times because it's hot and he's old. But you know these are these are parts of these are living parts of American history that that I that I love to tell people about because they're they're just priceless and they they tell you a story beyond just the place uh, that goes back 150 years or more and and another one that we were talking about earlier today was uh, I thought about before we came in to talk about this and kind of the history of America and how it um, you have all these roads that that cross between between booze and food and music and church and the farm, right? And all these things that are classic parts of our DNA in this country. And it was about Lee Petty, uh, the King Richard's dad, who most people don't know. Lee, you know, Lee started the, started racing for Petty Enterprises. And he's, he's why the King was able to be the King. And I thought about this because I have a Charlie one horse hat. That was that style that Richard yeah, had with the crazy with the feathers on the yeah, front and everything. And I met him a couple of times when I was a, an intern at Cummins engine company in Indiana as a teenager, and he couldn't have been any nicer. And when I met him, I was like, wow, this is, this is some history that I, I can tell this is some history. So I took time to understand what his, where his father was coming from. Turns out in North Carolina, uh, Lee, was a farmer, right? They had a small family farm. And we're going to tie this all back to the modern world here in a few minutes. Oh, but, yeah. But, I'm with you, buddy. But, but so Lee had the small family farm in North Carolina. And they were growing all kinds of stuff, just like my uncle was in Indiana and your parents were doing out in Oklahoma. And pretty basic, kind of small to medium-sized farm. And the racing started to get going. Junior Johnson and some of these shine dudes that were running moonshine at night after 1919 Prohibition. Uh, birth of NASCAR. Exactly, right? So they just took weight out of the car um, so they could put booze in it and added more horsepower and better suspension, and boom, you got stock car racing. Um, so Lee saw that this was going down, and Lee was a pretty smart dude. And, and at the point in time, Lee was 35 years old. And that matters uh, because we're going to, again, tie this back to the modern world of people like us that are creating these new joints, and and I find it that a lot of us are in this similar type of age range, right? So Lee's 35. He's an adult. He's still young, but he's old enough to know where he came from, what he knows, what he doesn't know. And he started racing not because he wanted trophies or he wanted to trade paint or any of that crap. He he needed to make money to keep the farm going, period. Yeah. End of story. It was survival. It was his family, his farm, his community. How is he going to take care of his, so to speak? And a lot of those shine guys were like that. They weren't some gangster dudes at all. They were just trying to take care of their family and their local church and whatever it was that was their, you know, their community that they were just taking care of themselves. Yeah. Right. Sustaining themselves. Sure. So it doesn't get any more local and (laughs) organic than those types of things. Now they do have a bit of an outlaw undertone, but, but I think the key thing to remember about American history is that (laughs) Let's not forget the outlaw background, right? right? 
let's not sugarcoat it too much. I mean, we're meeting in treasonous houses and all along the eastern seaboard and saying, screw the king, and we're not, no, we're not giving you any more taxes. Like, that's enough, bro. Like, there's a point at which this becomes ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm really glad, right? I think we should do a lot more of that now. (laughs) There's a point at which, you know, you need to be able to take care of you and yours before you can take care of anybody else, right? So Lee was a great example. Lee then learned very quickly the farming world went away from him in the sense that, uh, Crop prices, uh, land prices and values, and just quantities got away where he couldn't handle running that small farm anymore. And racing, he started to make more money racing. So he started Penny Enterprises, and then Richard became a great young driver, and here we are today. Four generations after Lee, and Petty Enterprises is the, one of the winningest, car, uh, winningest uh, teams in, uh, in the history of, of stock car racing. But that all and it was all about saving the farm. It was all about saving his farm, right? So, so let's fast forward, right, to today. As I said, we would. So you take these these places um, that are rooted in great food, great environment, and their local communities, right? Here, you know, it's our neighborhood. We're in our hood right now. Mm-hmm. There's something a bit pioneering to me about where we are now. That's why I came over here eight years ago or so. There's a little more room to roam, so to speak over in Brooklyn than there was in Manhattan. Not not that we're out in the middle of nowhere like you where we grew up, but relative to the city, sure. there's a little bit of latitude here where we can try to create There's room to stretch, for sure. Yeah, there's a little bit of room to stretch and roam. Let your create creativity go a little. And I think what you see is all these great places like here and, and many others and like I told you I was talking to Tim down at the granary in San Antonio earlier today. There are these super creative places that have amazing what are seemingly the most simple products on the planet mm-hmm. and what are seemingly the most simple environments on the planet. Well, they're only that way because they're classically American and they're classically from the learnings and the backgrounds of the proprietors and the people that started them, just like those old school joints were. Yeah. You know, we're, we are sitting in, I think, in a bit of a renaissance of, it goes from the farms, right? You have a lot of small, small farms now that are doing a lot of really neat stuff. And I love all that stuff. And I use a lot of it. And I'll, we'll be doing a lot of it over at the shop. There are a lot of great small restaurants and venues and places that are doing classic American stuff. And I think over this next five years, what you're going to see is those places that really know what they're doing and have a sense of the history behind it all. They're going to be the next great kind of entertainment businesses and places and and the common thread between all of them is that they're based on exactly what lee based what he was doing protecting keeping it real and and making sure that zeroing in on the quality of life it right it's it's your unit right so here our unit is it's our neighborhood more than anything right family neighborhood it's our community and where we grew up it was neighborhood farm and your church and all those different types of, of elements were uh, involved where we grew up here where there's so many people it's a little bit different but you see the same exact um, characteristics of the people I told my wife recently I said you know living over here uh, relative to where we were in the city feels to me more like the country in a way I, I totally than a, like a suburb would, right? So I love the city and I love 
I love this environment we live in. I love the country. I don't, I don't so much like the suburbs. Not, there's nothing I hate. I just, it's not really for me. I like to be in the city or the country, so to speak. Over here where we are feels a little more country. And these places feel a lot more like the farm or the church or the community gathering was when I was a little kid. And that's, that's what I love about America, among a million other things. But <laughs> Awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I totally agree with that. I mean, like, to me, the, uh, you get more of, like, uh, an actual, like, communal table vibe. I mean, like, there, like, we were talking, like, you were just saying, you know, like, the, like, bringing everyone together and basically focusing in on what's good. I, you know what? I, I've got nothing against, like, a fancy restaurant or a fancy cocktail bar. Yeah. Clearly, I can't, like, <laughs> say anything because there are a lot of people that have been on my show. But, but there's something really nice about it. like everyone sitting down, just kind of in the same way that we are right now, like sitting at a bar, sitting at a table, talking about it, talking about the day, and actually enjoying it all together. And I think that's a really that's a really cool thing. And like it, it takes it takes hard work, but it's great. Like the final product is unbeatable. Yeah, and it, it's a common denominator that everybody can t- uh, attach themselves to. Absolutely. Right? It's not so esoteric that you feel out of sorts if you don't understand the, you know, the unagi or something that, you know, <laughs> I mean, I love unagi, but you know, the things we're talking about because it's 4th of July, these are classic American things that we all know about. And I think the more stories you hear about stuff, I mean, you know, we'll tell a few, we could talk about this for 25 hours straight. I know. We, um, we, but the we, stories we have in the there, past, there, there, there are a million books that all of you should go read about all this stuff because food and drink tie uh, tie up American history in an amazing fashion. Absolutely. Let's take a break and let's listen to uh, one of the one of the old great standards of this country, and then we'll come back and we'll be talking more about booze, barbecue, and freedom. With Dan Lyle, back in a moment. America. spacious skies for amber waves of grain for purple mountain majesty above the fruited plain America America God shed his Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. And we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy. 
We've got Dan Lau from The Shop Brooklyn. We've been talking a lot about barbecue and America. And America. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about America. Um, this being the day before the 4th of July. Um, and talking a lot about the community aspects of the way that farming and, and especially we were talking a little bit about uh, booze running yeah. and, and turning that into uh, taking care of the farm and everything. And like, sure. th- what I think what's really cool is like, I, I love what you said about the community side of it. Cause like to me, like one of my, when I first started out in the, the service industry, yep. my first job, there was a chef, not, not a chef that I worked with, but one that would come into the bar to see me. Yep. And, he said that one of the best things you can ever do is share a meal with a friend. Yeah, totally. And I mean, he said a lot of other things too, but that was like, <laughs> that was definitely the, the number one thing that he said. And I was like, you know what? Actually, like on so many levels, that's a really, really kind of a powerful statement. But, no you know, uh, we, you know, going back to the, the community part of it, I think uh, especially like this being the 4th of July, I, I, I can't wait to actually be able to hang around with our friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, yeah. we're friends, so we're sure. going to be hanging out. You know? No doubt about and, it. And, uh, you know, just, like, the, you know, the general revelry of the entire, like, this, it's my favorite holiday. No doubt about and, it. And, like, everyone that knows me knows that it's my favorite holiday. Likewise. I mean, all these things, uh, and, and I've told you before, and, and I'll share it with your audience, like, the reason that that I'm doing what I'm doing with the Shop Brooklyn in this new place is... It all spawns from the 4th of July pig roast at my aunt and uncle's farm. All of it. The entire experience. You know, our new slogan is cook slow, ride fast. And that is very specific. Because the two things I loved more than anything growing up were the barbecuing we did on the farm. And only a small portion of that was because of the actual food. It was the experience and my family and all those people around there. And then now looking at it, all the stuff I learned from them that now that I'm old enough, I can apply it and that I understand it. I'm not, I don't just like it because it was fun. I mean, I, I loved it then and I love it now for more complex reasons, right? As I get older and I understand these things more, I love the same things, but I love them for very different reasons. And without getting too literary about it, I think a lot of people that are in creative endeavors feel the same way. I didn't understand that until the last few years because I was not in the creative business prior to doing the stuff that we are now that is creative in a way. Yeah. Creative in a way, in, in the food part of it, right? So, you know, I'm not a chef. I'm, I'm a cook. I'm a barbecue cook. I'm a barbecue man, guy, whatever you want to call it. I won't say pitmaster because I haven't had enough time yet to just dedicate. Sure. In five years or maybe even two or three, I'm, I'll probably be cool with that. But – the experiences that, that I keep going back to that were the best were on that farm in the summer working hard, hard. really hard. Changing out plow sweeps and fucking. Yeah. Waking <laughs> up at four in the morning, getting yeah. screamed at to wake up. Oh, yeah. Not, not, not being treated like the golden boy at home where I can do whatever I want and just yeah. get straight A's and hit home runs. But like being treated like you're just another one of the farm hands yeah. because I was. <laughs> and you get up and, you know, you're. You're moving hogs around, feeding, you're cleaning out pits, like you're, you know, you're fixing tractors, you're not doing any of the fun stuff. 
But if you did all that stuff, then you got to do the fun stuff, which was, you know, race the dirt bikes around, go take some horses out, you know, be able to get involved in building the new pit for the big 4th of July thing, learn how your Aunt Peggy makes the iced oatmeal cookies, right? <laughs> oh, shit. Very specifically. Gotta stop talking about cold, this. Cold, <laughs> cold iced oatmeal. These things are ridiculous. I know. I do. I do. Yeah, We're you know. Yeah, you know. Region, man. I know right? about so that. So this, this stuff, like, I will never forget these things. So you're doing all that stuff, and then you see the culmination of, you know, a week's worth of work, getting all these hogs ready. And when I mean ready, I don't just mean you ordered them. <laughs> right, right. I mean right. the dirty stuff that most people aren't prepared to see. Uh, I think people are getting more used to it, but, you know, that thing's got to get prepared. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's got to get slaughtered. It's got to be treated the right way. There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. You need to know the right way to do it, and even the right way to do it is pretty hardcore if yeah. you just grew up around here and you've never seen this stuff. Yeah. Like, it's, it gets, it's pretty – it's a somber existence. I read a great article – the other day by uh, Daniel Vaughn, who's the uh, barbecue editor of Texas Monthly magazine, which what does it say about the world where there's a job that's barbecue editor? I know. I was about to, How cool is that, right? I mean, just ridiculously yeah. cool. So he went to a, a slaughterhouse and learned all this stuff uh, recently down in Texas and really, I think, echoed some of the things I'm saying that it's, it's a lot to wrap your brain around. It's pretty heavy, man. It's you, very heavy. You and I actually might hit on this in a second, but you and I went on a motorcycle trip upstate to uh yep. carl family farms right. recently about two months ago mm-hmm. and we had to slaughter we did we we got to we, uh, we took care of business but, yeah it was it was it was pretty gnarly and i hadn't been around that kind of shit in yep. a long ass time yep and dude it's it's gnarly yeah and it is like you said very summering like very like you yeah. kind of you gotta get in a different mindset but yeah. it gives you a whole new level of respect for what you're Exactly. It, like circle of life, what you're consuming, like what you're putting in your system. You know, when you when you think about all this stuff uh, from you know soup to nuts without getting into the gory details, good in, good out. So a lot of these heritage cuts that people are digging on right now, like, like I like here, they're doing the heritage pork for some of these uh, pizza items. Here at Roberta's. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's phenomenal. Uh, we do large black hogs for whole hogs. The large blacks are a heritage breed that are uh, thousands of years old, came over from Spain. I think Da Gama was one of the first guys that brought hog uh, pigs over here. Um, and when these things are raised a certain way and they're, you know, they're free range and all the buzzwords, but, but they, uh, they really do live a charmed life. And, you know, buzzword fits on your knuckles. Oh, wow. Let's go get tattoos. Wow. Bro. <laughs> We're, I'm way not nearly enough whiskey to talk about that. Yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but that's one. You know, you've got the uh, you got the Berkshire hogs. You've got large blacks. You've got um, what's the uh, oh, I'm going to forget one of the other like Spanish ones that's really really good. Anyway, a lot of the great stuff that you've, you've seen as uh, charcuterie uh, and a lot of the stuff that you, you see a lot of fr- uh, chefs having just at their, their at their houses. Tim Love down in Dallas has. Uh, has an entire uh, pig always uh, charcuterie style in his kitchen that they, where they're slicing it off. And he, I'm sure, has taught his kids, you know, how it gets to where it is, which I was lucky enough to learn that, and so were you when we were kids, but I, I think less and less people are learning that now. Uh, they're hearing the buzzwords from the, the retailers and the environments and the restaurants and all that stuff, and that's great. 
But I think there that a lot of those people should take the time to read the books and go to the go experience this stuff, understand it. Just because not 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 for any existential reason, but just so that you understand where it comes from. Absolutely. You understand the inputs. You understand the not just the food part, but just the the basic uh, basic economics, right? So you, you need to understand why. Uh, don't go to a restaurant and look at a menu and start complaining about a number just because. You might have a reason to complain about a number at some point, but you need to understand a bit of a background on it, right? Yeah. So if you see a whatever up there for some huge number, but you, but you, there's probably a reason for it. Yeah. Don't you, don't you think that that's just like another opportunity to educate your, your customers, you know? like I mean, Absolutely. Like, Absolutely, and you're seeing a lot of great places do that. I mean, Cause like if you just have a number thrown at you, it's like, uh, what? Why the fuck am I paying? You know, you know, 160 bucks for a steak. You yeah, know? it's like, dude, there's a reason why. Yeah, well, I mean, you saw it right yeah. up in uh, up in uh, up, upstate a little bit. You saw how it, you know, and I've known this my entire life, and, and so have you. But we probably haven't seen it for a while. We looked at. Um, one part of the land where there were some goats and some sheep and they were moving around. They were actually moving the fences around. Exactly. So they could graze on new exactly. land every time. Exactly. And, and let ha- the land regrow. And naturally kind of fertilize, yeah. right? The, and totally. then they moved it around. And then up on that other plateau when we rolled in the back, you saw where those cattle were. Now, mm-hmm. these are uh, belted Galloways and ancient uh, White Park, which are some old uh, English-Scottish breeds. Yeah. Real hardy. They grow better in this... Uh, in a, a, a climate like we get up here where it gets pretty cold in the winter, obviously. Yeah. They're unbelievable beef. But you see these things, and you see the land around those cattle, and you see the toll that takes on the ground. Oh, yeah. Just one of them. Right? Oh, yeah. You look 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 at how hardcore that was on the ground, and then you just get one animal out of that. That's not a lot. Yeah. Right? So that's why you're seeing in, in places like Uruguay, Paraguay, uh, Brazil, a lot – all the Patagonia region, Chile, all these countries in South America, they grow a lot of, they, they do and used to grow even more beef. A lot of those farmers are now growing more soybeans and things of that nature because you can yield a lot more than you can on cattle. So, you know, you're going to keep, you know, as that relates to beef, you're going to keep, you're going to continue to see beef prices go through the roof. Oh, yeah. We're already seeing it. Yeah, yeah. and there's nothing, there's nothing anybody can do about that. I mean, that's just a matter of supply and demand, humans, and there's it's, only a amount of earth like out there. Paying for quality, you know, it's like no doubt about you it. You can't bitch about quality. Totally. If you want it, it's like it's worth paying for. But also, think about the shop. Like we, we haven't even really even talked about the new shop that's opening up very soon. Yeah. Um, what I like about what you were saying earlier about the, the, like the Texas barbecue places and the like the juke joints yep. and all and like you know yep. like you were talking about how like you would go up to a bar yep and you would order a bunch of barbecue yep and it would come from behind the bar now isn't that the same way you you have it set up like absolutely so you've got the bar at the shop set up to where the like the kitchen is right behind it absolutely you're gonna walk in you're gonna see the smokehouse you're gonna see the pits. They're named after characters from Friday Night Lights for very specific reasons <laughs> that you need to you need to know me for me to tell you those stories. And nice. I'm happy to share them, but I'm not going to just tell you for free. You have, <laughs> you have to buy a beer. You at least have to buy a beer, You right? have to buy a beer. There are very specific reasons. But you'll see how we're rolling the pits. The kitchen is behind the bar. Mm-hmm. Everything comes from behind the bar. Um, 
it's almost a the service. I would almost liken it to a tapas style of service for barbecue. For instance, you're not going to be buying half racks and racks of ribs. There, you know, you're going to get a couple huge whole pork spares that are set up for you, and everything's really set up completely soup to nuts for you to order it, get it presented to you in a nice fashion, so you can just grab it with one hand and eat it and drink and have fun with your friends. So, for instance, on the on the bar tops, you're going to have a little riser there that are like the old school pizza joints. Mm-hmm. where if six of us are sitting around a bar top like we do all the time we'll be able to set all the food up on top set our beers and everything underneath chow down and you're going to constantly have busters running around cleaning things up very much like uh the, the what's on my hat right here black's barbecue, barbecue and lockhart. And lockhart is the yeah. oldest since 1932 the oldest single family without a major family riff run place in america there's a lot of uh, barbecue has a lot of uh a lot of inner family yeah, uh, good stories and fights and battles and it's very kind of Hatfields and McCoys and that's yeah. I think that's what makes it interesting to yeah. a large degree. Um, but it's, it's it's all about the entire experience. The food, I mean, I obviously love it. You know, it's a it's a mix of where I grew up in St. Louis doing ribs and working on that pig farm and spending a ton of time in Texas playing baseball and traveling and working and you know understanding what what do I like about this style? What do I not like? specifically understanding things like what's the difference between East Texas and Central Texas market style and uh, Eastern Carolina and Western Carolina and Memphis and Kansas City and St. Louis and all these things. It's the culmination of all the things I liked from those layered with my specific love of, of like we've talked about, the spices and kind of that Southwestern feel to it that I think is very, uh, is very flavorful and exciting for especially a lot of young people. And you just dropped about 13 of my favorite 20 <laughs> words in the last minute. Serrano. Poblano. All right. Adobo. Stop it. Stop it, bro. Jalapeno. <laughs> Dude, um, we've run out of time for today, but God damn it, Dane. Man, you got you to gotta come back on the show sometime. <laughs> for sure, man. For sure. Thanks for and, having me. And, and everyone should absolutely go out to uh, the shop, Brooklyn. Uh, it's going to be opening later this summer. Yeah, late fall. summer, early fall. Yeah. We're you know we're in construction right now, but uh, you should see smoke rolling out those windows in about ninety days. Killer. All right, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out with me on uh, Independence Day Eve. Hell yeah! Happy birthday, America! Happy birthday, America! And that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Join us next week. It'll be my one hundredth episode. So uh, I'm not going to tell you any more about that. We'll just see what happens. (laughs) All right. Dan, cheers, brother. At the shop, Brooklyn on Twitter. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.